Well, on Wednesday nights, we do a thing called Real Life, and we try to talk about some real-life things, not just give you a history of some king somewhere tucked away in an Old Testament book, but uh, although you can always draw value from that, if it's in Scripture, we can draw something from it. But we want to be very intentional about uh, addressing some things. At times, I feel like we're doing group biblical counseling. And, uh, but all of it is to do two things. It is to help you. And then it's to help you so that you can what? So you can help somebody else. So that's actually equipping the saints. Ephesians talks about this. It's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so we're being very intentional about doing that. Uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about a kind of a hot topic, atheism. And um, what does that have to do with us? How do we respond to that? And uh, we'll address some things tonight. And then we'll look uh, at some other issues such as this in the coming weeks. Let's look in Romans chapter 3, verse 3, and in the first part of verse 4. It says, for what if some did not believe? Okay, look at this. What if some did not believe? Look at this question. Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Answer? Well, it goes on to answer, certainly not. Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. So even if somebody does not believe, and this could be, this could be anything, you know, I don't believe that, uh, uh, homemade ice cream is good. Well then does that make homemade ice cream not good? No, it's, it's good. They just kind of miss out. And that's, uh, you understand that's not apples for apples either. Okay. How many of you know God's better than homemade ice cream? How many of you know that homemade ice cream can be heavenly though? Chocolate pecan. Come on. I'm preaching better than your amen. Come on. All right. But what if some do not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? No, God is still faithful. God is still true. And, but people miss out on that. And I think sometimes Christians panic. They're personally offended when somebody doesn't believe. And, and we need to understand we're not really here to defend God. We're here to represent God. I want to say that again. We're not really here to defend God. We're here to represent God. And that will show up in our approach as, as we go along. I'm going to read a passage of scripture here. It's about 11 verses long. Um, you'll, you'll fare well through it. Uh, Luke 23, and I'm going to start in verse 32. And this is on the cross. So I want you to pay, to, pay attention here. There were also two others, criminals, led with him, Jesus, to be put to death. And when they come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So you have the picture, you've seen the, the paintings. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And he's referencing the people crucifying him. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38, And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. That said, this is the king of the Jews. And they're mocking him. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, 
if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now, it's not an innocent prayer there. It's blasphemy. The way, obviously, the tone, the heart, the, the wrath that was behind it. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, basically the other, the other answering rebuked him, rebuked the other thief on the other side of Jesus, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, you have both these guys, both criminals, both thieves, both uh, raiders, um, in one sense, in their day, a type of terrorist. And here they are being crucified along with the son of God, the lamb of God, the sacrifice of God for your sins and my sins. And they end up there and their dialogue is recorded for us. The Holy spirit made sure that that was captured. And this is really, really graphic here. And so you've got the one that is blaspheming and, and mocking Jesus. And then you've got the other one that, that is saying, you know, you're way out of line with this. He's done nothing wrong. And he said, Lord, remember me. Just, just remember me. And Jesus said, no, you're going to be with me. Why? Because he acknowledged him. Why did he acknowledge him? Because he believed. He believed. Now, we'll get to this passage a little bit, a little bit later in John 3. But it says that he who believes will have eternal life. Now, get this. But he who does not believe, or basically not believe if he does not believe, is condemned already. Now, that does not mean that God condemned it. It means he's condemned already. Why? Because when you believe, that's when you receive salvation. But if you don't believe, then you don't receive that. So you remain not saved. What you already were, you were already condemned. And you remain that unless you believe. So the crux of the matter is believing. Everybody say believing. And I pray that you're a believer. And if you're not a believer tonight, you'll become a believer. And you need to know that you have the capacity to believe. And everybody has a spiritual mechanism within them, so to speak, where you can believe. Let's look at a couple of words here as we approach this whole idea tonight. First of all is theism. Everybody say theism. We'll, We'll go doctrinal here a little bit. Theism. Um, means that you believe in one God, a creator God, and the creator God that theism believes, uh, he interacts with his creation, he sustains his creation, and he has relationship with what he has created. So we are, by definition, theists. Okay? Then you have deism, Everybody say deism. And deism believes in one God, a creator God, but he's done. There's no interaction. There's no connection. Created you, made you, wound you up. Good luck. And that's a deist. There are deists. Even in the founding of our country, some of the founding fathers were deists. They believed in one God. They believed in a creator God. But they did not believe that he had any interaction. Well, will a, will a deist pray? 
No. Who are you going to pray to? A God that won't interact. You know, so that's a God that you don't have his number. Okay. Then you have atheism. Whenever you add the prefix a, it means without, without. So what that does, it takes theism. We believe theism is to believe in one God, a creator God who sustains and interacts and intervenes with his creation. Well, atheism means I don't believe that. I don't believe that. So here's, here's the pivot point right here of, of believing. And we want to delve into atheism. Also, by definition, an atheist believes. Now, watch this. They either believe, so that's active. They believe there's no God. Or passively, they simply lack a belief in God. So either actively or passively, just no God, no creator, anything like that. Atheism, let me give you a few numbers on this, is, is on the rise. It's on the rise. But let me say it's fewer than you're led to believe. Let me make a point here without going into a bunch of different directions. Whoever holds the microphone is the loudest. Doesn't that make sense? So in our current day, in our secular media, you would think that majority of our, of, of people are atheists, that more, the majority of people are, are not religious. Uh, you would believe that astronomical percentages of our culture are, are homosexual. You would believe all kinds of things based on what the media tells you. And this is why you have to be responsible, not just to take at face value what the media would tell you. Okay. Are you hearing me? Because whoever has the microphone is the loudest. And so there are some very, very smart people that are atheists and, and are well-placed. And there's, you know, documentaries and books and all kinds of things that have been very, very, uh, successful and prevalent of, uh, especially in the last 10 years. So atheism is becoming more and more vocal. In 2012, this last year, worldwide of the population, only 13% are atheists. That's up from 4% in 2005. In the U.S., that's where we live, last year it's reported that 5%, and I'm on the high side there because there's other reports that show 3 to 5%. Uh, it's up 1% since 2005, so it's, uh, that it was 4% then. So about 5% of our population claims to be an atheist and to believe that there's, there's no God. Now, I wish it was less than that, but it does, it does uh, tend to rise, rise. Let me give you some other statistics. The uh, highest percentage of atheism is in China, 47%. But one of the greatest moves of God on the planet right now is in China. The underground church in China, let me just put it in terms we can understand, is tearing it up. Tens of thousands daily are, are coming to know Jesus. It's illegal, but um, God is doing a great move in China. 47% claim to be atheists. In Japan, 31%. France, 29%. However, listen to these nations. Iraq, Afghanistan, 
Malaysia and Vietnam, 0% atheists. That doesn't mean that they're not there. It's just you are told you believe this. And, and there's no tolerance or space for anything other. And in some of those, you almost, you almost have imposed religion. Here's some reasons for the rise. And I just want to give you a little bit of background. Then I want to tell you how we're to approach all this. How do we respond? Here's some of the reasons for why we hear more and more about atheism. Let me just stop real quick. How many of you would, would uh, say, I know an atheist? Or I have a friend or somebody who claims to be an atheist. Look, just look around you, okay? Now, reasons for the rise. Number one, they're feeling safer to say I am one. There's less social stigma or, or negative connotation with being one. Uh, we have more cultural tolerance, more cultural openness. Uh, it is also, in some circles, trendy. It's chic. It's intellectually vogue to, to be an atheist. Why do they not believe? Let's, let's get to this because this, this kind of matters right here. Why do they not believe? Why does a person say, I don't, I don't believe in a God, one God, any God, creator God, anything. I, I just don't believe that. I either actively do, I believe there's not one or I passively, I just simply, I, I, just, I just don't have anything that believes that. Why is that? One of the big reasons would be education. Education. Most people on a lot of issues believe what they believe because somebody told them. And if you only get one side of the story or whatever, and that's one of the reasons why I want to give you, you know, kind of both sides on this as well. Uh, But our educational system and a lot of intellectuals uh, in the scripture even talks about Gnostics. And there were people who worshiped knowledge. And you have to be careful of worshiping knowledge because then you get so smart that you, I don't need God, okay? And so there are a lot of intellectuals. This does not mean that if you're an intellectual, you're an atheist, nor does it mean that uh, all theists are dumb, okay? I would really take exception with that. But in a a number of universities, especially since... Uh, the 60s, 1960s, into the 50s, 60s, 70s, there was more and more of, um, it it almost appears to be intentionally placing uh, certain intellectuals, certain beliefs that broke against even the, the religious and moral foundation of universities, major universities. There's some seminaries on major well-known Ivy League uh, universities in our, in our nation that have professors in their seminary, theological seminaries, that are full-blown atheists. And, and you know, so what are you going to turn out? Um, here's a big one. Either a bad experience with church, religion, or religious people, or an inert, I-N-E-R-T, inert. Do you know what that means? Have you ever looked on the, you know, like the label of some cleaning product or something, and, and, and it would tell you the active ingredients, and then it would give you the inert ingredients, which means what? They have no effect. They're just kind of there. So people have either had 
Y'all with me? Y'all are listening good, I can tell. They've either had a bad experience. I've told you before, one one of the reasons people never come to church is they've never been invited. The second reason why people never come to church is they've been to church. And they had some kind of experience either that was bad or inert. What difference does this make? I didn't feel anything. I didn't learn anything. This will have, this won't impact my life. Why do this? And so that's part of it. Another is no exposure, no exposure to the things of God. Um, back to a bad experience, Gandhi, who incidentally was not an atheist. He said this, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. Think about that. Also in our day is, is something called pluralism, which means there's so many religions, it almost signals an atheist. If there's so many, then none of them are right. Here's another one. Loss of a loved one, an injustice, a disappointment, or a hurt that somehow shattered their personal faith. They had a faith at one time. This is a common, common uh, case among a lot of atheists. At one point, they had a personal faith. And they had some kind of disappointment, some kind of loss, some kind of tragedy. Weren't able to piece that together. Didn't have someone to help them along with that. And that that shattered their personal faith. Uh, Another is friends. How many of you have ever been influenced by friends? You know, I remember my mom or my grandma saying things like, who's who's filling your head with that junk? You know, and so sometimes it's, it's who you hang out with. And then here's another one, and we'll talk about it in a little more depth in just a few moments. The enemy of your soul. Why do people not believe? Because the enemy of, your, of their soul. We're going to read in just a moment that uh, the God of this age has blinded their minds lest they believe. Now, what do we do? What do we do? Let me give you a principle, and then we're going we're gonna to go off this principle, and then I'm going to share with you how I feel. Honestly, I feel the Holy Spirit led me to go tonight. Your attitude determines your approach. Say that. My attitude determines my approach. Okay, and then your approach determines your success or your failure. But I want you to get this. Your attitude determines your approach. I begin to approach this to... Uh, address the arguments of an atheist to equip you with here are the arguments that an atheist will will have and here's how you answer those arguments and I really felt prompted of the Lord to leave the arguments for now and instead look at our attitude because our attitude is going to determine our approach and let me just go ahead and say this and if this affronts you then just hang on and 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 I'll fill this out a little bit I think we need to find a way, we must find a way to engage, to engage atheists and agnostics as a friend. You say, oh, I don't know if we should get so close. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Amen. And you have family and you have coworkers and you have neighbors. You raised your hands. I saw your hands. It's people you know. Are you going to then, I'm cutting you off. Now, they do not become the influence of your life. And, and don't confuse what some scriptures are saying about come, come out and be separate from them. Now, read that in context, okay? Read what's going on. I think we must find ways to build bridges to people. I think we need to find a way to make my, 
neighbor, my co-worker, my family member that says, I don't believe in God. I think we need to find a way to at least build a bridge to them and have some level of friendship. Now, I think we need to love them. Well, you're way off base, Pastor. No, I'm not. I'm, on, I'm, I'm square in the Bible right there. I think we need to care for them, care about them. Uh, one reason we need to care about them, you ready for this? The highest suicide rate is among atheists. The lowest is among those with religious affiliation, according to the studies. Here's a study of the American Journal of Psychiatry. Religious affiliation is associated with significantly lower levels of suicide compared to the religiously unaffiliated atheists and agnostics. And part of it is that they don't have any hope. And when you don't have hope, then you're hopeless in a crazy world. And I think we need, that should bother us. We, we should care about it. I think also our attitude should be that we never condescend. Never condescend. Listen to this. Whenever you condescend, hear me. Whenever you condescend, you will fail to connect. Whenever you condescend, you will fail to connect. I never get up here and point my finger at you guys. And you guys, you dirty, rotten sinners. And you're just bad. And you better get better this week. It's a wonder even God pays any attention. Yeah. Or if I stand up here and like, I know everything and I've got it all together. Listen, I live life just like you live life. I am not anointed to live this life any different than you are. I might be anointed to teach it, to share some things with you. And then I better go live it. But I'm just like you. I'm flesh and blood just like you. But I should never get up here and be condescending. When you talk to somebody else, you should never be condescending, browbeating, speaking down to somebody. Because whenever you condescend, you will fail to connect with them. There's a principle. You must seek to honor those that you hope to influence. You must seek to honor. Otherwise, people roll their window up and you have no chance. You have no chance to share with them. I think we just should love some folks. It's spreading. All right, hold on. Listen to this. They are not, they are not objects or targets to be converted. They're not objects or, or targets to argue with, to debate with. And they're not argue, uh, or targets or, or objects to hate. And I've, I've read in my research on this, the amount of hate that comes from Christians. Is that not an oxymoron? Who from who from Christians are doing what hating? Does that sound like something might be wrong with that? Come on. Has anybody here got a Bible? Have y'all ever y'all ever read any of it? New Testament, anything, any, come on, y'all with me. Does that, does that not jive? That does not connect that Christians hate. Are y'all with me? Maybe y'all will get this later. I don't know. But people are not, people, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. People are not the objects. They're not targets. I'm going to convert them. I'm going to argue with them. I'm going to debate with them. I'm going to hate them. That, that, is not, that is not our approach. That cannot be our posture. And let me tell you why. Because they're made in the likeness and the image of God. 
I said they're made in the likeness and the image of God. And follow this. Anyone who's made in the likeness and the image of God has the capacity to believe. Anyone who's made in the likeness and the image of God has the capacity to fellowship with God. Let me go a little bit further. Anyone made in the likeness and the image of God also has the capacity to be restored to fellowship with God. Let me go a little bit further. Anyone made in the likeness and the image of God is never beyond the reach and the influence of God. And they're never beyond, they have the capacity to respond to God and to his grace. It is amazing what God is doing in the world. Y'all look at me like I'm reading a phone book here tonight, but there are, there are testimonies of Muslims who have vowed, you know, never to be a Christian and so forth. And, and you know what God is able to do? Jesus has shown up to some guys in the desert before. Well, I don't understand that. I don't either. I can't really make doctrine out of that, but I know he's able to do that. And look at the result, what has happened. And this happened numerous, numerous times. And we've heard this from credible, credible missionaries and so forth. The thing they do, tell me this is not God. The thing they do is turn to Jesus. They turn to Jesus. And it wasn't the words of men. It was some kind of supernatural something. How many of you know he's... Showed up in bushes and split seas and done all kinds of stuff. He, how many of you know that that God's still alive, still able, and he he can do whatever, whenever, however. Do not put Almighty God, who is on a mission. He has one mission. Don't put him in a box and say he can't reach somebody. Don't write somebody off and, and draw your line and build your wall and say, I hate them because they don't believe like I believe. You better, you better stop. As long as a person is made in the likeness and the image of God, they have the capacity to fellowship with God. They have the capacity to believe in God. They have the capacity to be restored to God. Y'all hearing me? They are, they are not beyond his reach. They're not beyond his influence. And they still have the capacity to respond to God and to his grace. I hope you got that. The Bible does not attempt to prove that God exists. Get this point. The Bible does not attempt to prove that God exists. It simply speaks as though he does. And look at me. Listen to me. I'm going to say that again. The Bible does not. Its goal is not to uh, try to prove that God exists. It just speaks like he does. Now, this is the part I want you to get. That's how you're supposed to live. My goal is not to go prove that God exists. My goal is to live as though he does. So we've got to change our posture, our attitude, our approach. It's not about, and I believe in apologetics. I believe in the, in the right place, in the right temper, that there can be good debate. I love that the body of Christ is equipped with people like Ravi Zacharias and, and others. There's some, there's some incredible people that that can stand in any setting anointed by God and extremely intellectual can stand in any setting and answer any question. But here's the thing. They'll do it with grace and they'll do it with poise. Listen, we don't have to prove that God exists. We just have to live like he does and make sure that he's real in your life. And if he's real in your life, God is fill in the blank. Anybody know first John? 
God is what? Love. And love is God. And if we believe that he is and he's living in us, then we should be loving as well. Maybe I can't, and the Lord put this in my heart this afternoon. Maybe I can't prove to somebody there is a God, but I can show them Jesus. And so I think the first thing before we try to address arguments is our posture would be, let's show somebody Jesus. I think you should also, and this is extremely effective, encourage somebody to read the words of Jesus. Maybe get them a red letter edition. Do you know what written in red? Do you know who said those things? Jesus said those things. Just encourage them. Gospel of John. Red letter edition. Kaboom. And just say, would you just read what Jesus said? Jesus even told the religious Pharisees one time. He said, you search the scriptures looking for all kinds of things. He said, but listen to me. The scriptures testify of me. The scriptures point to me. And you need to know that scripture is supernatural. Scripture is God breathed. I cannot tell you how many stories that I know personally and have read that just by reading the scripture, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You could encourage somebody to just read some scripture. It's supernatural. Jesus also said this in John 14. Let's look at this real quick. In John 14, verse 8 and 9. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. That, that may be somebody saying, yeah, well, show me God. Show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to, to him, how long have I been with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me, he who has seen Jesus, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So if we want people to see the Father, they've got to see Jesus. How are they going to see Jesus? Come on, I already have kind of told you. Okay, how are they going to see Jesus? Listen, you and I are not going to be able to prove the existence of God. Just like no one can prove that he doesn't exist. It's not about proving. It's about showing now. Just by showing out of our life that he's in our life. And if they'll see Jesus in you, if they'll see Jesus, they'll see the Father. And you've got to trust it's beyond just if I can win this debate. Win the debate, but, but absolutely. And so let's make sure that love, the way we carry ourselves. Here's, what, here's what's at stake, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of a strategy, and then we're going to close in prayer tonight. In John chapter 3, verse 14 through 18, I referred to it earlier. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Does anybody remember that? Yes. And they lifted up that, that bronze serpent. And they said, look to it. What was going on with the people? They'd bitten by, been bitten by what? Snakes. And they were going to what? They were going to die. And they were afraid. And a supernatural thing happened. They said, make this. And they, they made this bronze serpent. And they lifted up. And, and they said, look to that. And, and you'll be made well. You'll be whole. So as Moses, was lifted, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What did he say in another scripture? If, it's a, if I be lifted up, he would do what? He would draw men to himself. Even so must the son of man be lifted up. Therefore, whoever believes in him, whoever believes, everybody say, I believe. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he, he, he so what? He loved. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what's at stake, folks. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, does not believe, is condemned already. God didn't condemn them. They're condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. God does not condemn. It's not believing that keeps you unsaved. They're already unsaved, already condemned. It's believing. That's what we want to do. We want to, we want to help people to believe. We want to help people to believe. And if they're going to believe, they're going to have to see something. They're not just going to have to hear something from us. We're not going to have to be so smart and so smug and posturing and, you know, bowing up and raising our voice and hating and arguing and all those kind of things. Listen, there's a place for proper debate. There's, there's a place for proper apologetics. There, there's, a, there's a place for that. But in your day-to-day, your interaction with people, this is what... The, you don't have to have all the answers. We're going to try to equip you with answers. You, they just have to see Jesus. I said, they just have to see Jesus, not perfection, but Jesus. And the the starting place might be some love. Second Corinthians four, verse three through six. I'm almost done. But even if our gospel, what is gospel? Good news. news. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is... For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts. How many of you once were blind, but now you see? Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple of things just real quick. Be salt. Be light. You know what's coming next. Be what? Be sugar. Please be sugar. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing worse than a nasty Christian. There's nothing worse than a grumpy Christian. Praise God. I hate people not like me. Jesus, help us. Be salt. Be salt. Salt, you don't even have to see it to know it's there. My wife makes some of the most awesome soups. I tell her all the time she should have a restaurant. I think we should add on to the cafe. (laughs) And if soup is to have meat in it, she puts lots of meat in it. I mean, come on. Y'all hear me? And on occasion, I have to be careful. Needs a little more salt. Now there's salt in there. Or if it's flavored just right, there's salt and other things in there. Can't see it, but it's there. So this is not about making a show. It's about being there. 
It's the flavor. It's the preservation that you bring. Also, you are to be a light in the world and then also to be sugar. And here's the deal. Be authentic. Be real. Be real. Don't be fake Christians either. The only thing worse than a mean Christian is a fake Christian. And under fake, let me add this. Weird. Do not be weird for Jesus. And like I said on Sunday, and if you do, do not mention Meadowbrook, okay? (laughs) I believe the next move of God is Christians actually acting like Christians. Here's another one. Live a spirit-empowered life. Don't get caught on the fringe thoughts about the things of the spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, fill me, use me, empower me, help me. I tell the Lord all the time, I don't want to speak. I don't want to be up here. I don't want to do anything unless you help me, unless you infuse it with some kind of life and energy. Live a life that is spirit empowered. Fellowship with the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Seek after the spirit. Let him lead you. Let him help you. Let him fill you. Let him empower you. And that doesn't mean that you start, you know, acting weird around your friends. You don't have to jerk. You know, what was that? Be real. But have your life infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. Also be informed. Be informed. Don't be, I don't know. And and, and get over this one. I told you last week. Cut it out with, and and I understand it as as a fellow believer. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. That does not connect with people who don't believe. Okay? So I take that one out and just share that with you and you and those of like precious faith. But be informed, be a thinker, and then pray. Pray. And here's what you pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would move, that he would draw, that he would stir, that he would convince, that he would convict. That he would do whatever he needs to do. He knows. He knows. Listen, there's a... And the guy wasn't an atheist. He's part of our church. He's actually my trainer. And when he came to the church, I don't think he'd mind sharing this story. When he came to the church, he believed in God. He believed in God his whole life. But he didn't really serve God. And I love this guy so much. His input in my life and... And his investment in my life. And we're, we're brothers. We're dear friends too. So I hope I'm not stepping out of bounds sharing this. But this is what God did. He was alcoholic also. And when he came to this church, he came because of the lady who's now his wife. He was in pursuit of her. And the first Sunday he's here, the first Sunday he's here, I mentioned something about exercise. He's been in the fitness business for 30-something years. That totally caught his attention. He wasn't here seeking after God. He was here seeking after Tammy. And then I mentioned, and I won't use his name right now, but I have a pastor friend down in South Florida who has the exact same name as my trainer. And I said, my pastor friend, pastor, and I gave his name, And he sat up. This is his first Sunday here. He sat up and he said, did he just say my name? What I'm saying is, and and the guy is such a devoted follower of Jesus today. You just wouldn't believe it. Just on fire for Jesus. So excited about Jesus. But do you see what the Holy Spirit did? The Holy Spirit can do 
anything, anywhere. Did you know this? Nobody's got an unlisted number when it comes to God. Okay? He's got your number. He's got your number. Amen? Our attitude determines our approach. I just think we need to have a, such a posture about us that we're, we're just going to walk in love. We're not out to prove that God exists, but we can show him Jesus. Show him Jesus. Did you get anything at all out of this tonight?